Blog Talk Radio. Tell me, are you in the mood? If not, you put on your sexiest outfit, turn the lights down low, because it's about to get steamy hot. Let's get ready. Let's get radio after dark. to the show. This Can you David. hear me? Yes. Is this Velvet? Yes, it is. Hey, this is the Dave Dog here at Radio After Dark. And uh, How are you? I'm doing well. Good. Hello. All right. Got, uh, is that you, Alicia? I'm here. Oh, great, great. Man, we had some difficulties here. I was getting ready. I was set up. I was logged into the studio, and then all of a sudden it crashed on me. And I kept trying to log back in. It just kept telling me that there was no information coming in from the server, and I was like, crap. So I apologize for that. Yeah, but it we're was all... a BTR thing, though, wasn't it? It wasn't a... I, I think thing. it was because I tried, lo- I tried connecting on my phone, and it said that uh, the website was having problems, so uh, apparently they got that taken care of. So, all right, this is the first episode of Radio After Dark, and uh, you've got the Dave Dog here along with Alicia, the sexual intellectual from uh, Raw Sex Radio. Alicia, welcome aboard. Yay! And uh, first of all, I'd like to thank you for that intro. That is one badass intro i had to have a cigarette the first time i heard it so uh (laughs) it made you sweat a little it it did it got me hot under the collar so tonight i didn't get to hear it because of the technical difficulties i didn't get to hear it so uh yeah well you know what what was was that the intro that i heard it sounded really good by the way yes it was it was uh that was our girl there alicia so tonight's guest is velvet steel velvet how you doing I'm fabulous. How are you guys doing? Thank you for having me on, by the way, too. Oh, uh, it's our pleasure. Our pleasure. <laughs> Much better now that the technical difficulties are over. Oh, man. We, th- those things happen few and far between for us, but when they do, it's usually something big. And so it, we, luckily we recovered. We, I think we only lost like about eight or nine minutes. So we, we're, we're good. We're good. And luckily, these shows get archived, and I continue to retweet them out even after uh, and so people will go back and listen to them once they're saved. Because there's a lot of people that, that don't catch us live, and they'll just go back and listen to it. And that's where most of our most of our listens actually come from is ar- off the archived episodes. So uh, I continue to stay on top of it and, and, and tweet it out and put it on Facebook. And, and now um, I've, I've got a website up, and so I will start uh, putting that stuff there, and um, I'm going to add a player so people can go and check up on all the uh, current episodes. So... Anyway, oh man, that was that was uh, something to try to get past. So, Velvet, yeah, give us, a short, 
intro on who Velvet Steel is. God, there's so many things that I could. Well, okay. Let me try to figure out my elevator pitch here. Um, (laughs) But anyway, uh, a sexy, fun, flirty woman who just happens to be transsexual, who will talk to you about anything to do with sex, sexuality, sexual health, and healing. And let's throw in a healthy heaping of fetish, interest, and play. I think that kind of works out a bit. So, yeah, I think that's going to be my favorite part of this, is I really want to get into the fetish part and just know all the juicy details, because I'm, I'm a big fet lifer myself. <laughs> well, should we just go ahead and start with that then? Get into the well, meat of it? Well, not you. For some reason, every time you ask me to be a guest host, I end up stealing the show. So this time, I'm going to try and be a little bit, I'll be the sub tonight, and you can No, that, that's, why, that's why I, I invite you on the show, because... Um, I, I think uh, you do very, very well. You know, you're 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 the one that's more experienced uh, on on radio, and and plus, you're a lot more interesting than I am. So, and uh, <laughs> you know, like I said, that's that's your thing is is that you, that's what you like is the fetish stuff. And I've always been curious, and I've always been you know, it's one of those things where it really interests me. So, uh, I, I don't mind letting you take the lead on this one here. So All let's, right, let's so. Well, um, Velvet. Yeah. I know that on your Twitter page, um, it says about you being like the fetish queen, I believe, or something to that effect. Like, um, so where or do you do workshops or do you just play? Is it your personal life? Do you have a part of it that belongs to your professional life? Well, um, huh. So I just celebrated a birthday this past weekend, and I, you know, I turned 29 for the 20th time. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I'm working hard to look 29. But anyway, it's not working so well either. But no, um, <laughs> so I think I started doing professional domination uh, about 25 years ago. So, and that was sort of an exploration into the whole idea of it because I like the psyche and the mindset behind it. So what I generally have told people, just a bit of history about myself, is that. I'm an eroticist that specializes in the fetishistic arts. That's how I like to sort of classify that. So when I started doing all this stuff and going back in the time that I was learning, there were no books. There were no people to talk to. Um, You had to sort of find through munches, you know, all those different things, Uh people to talk to. Um, So that's kind of like old school. Now you can just go online and look up all kinds of different things, especially through all the different websites. So as a result of doing all that, I learned on my own. I was reading books when they started to come available. The lovely folks at Northbound Leather, uh, George, who I'm still very close friends with, uh, started giving me stuff and information that I was able to read from them. Um, And then as I amassed my own information on my own library, I started to start being more activist-oriented and more advocacy-oriented and educating people on different things out there. Um, And then when I moved to Vancouver uh, 20 years ago, there was nothing out here of the nature in terms of fetish parties. Yes, there were underground clubs that dealt with uh, BDSM stuff, but nothing fetish-oriented. Um, and I have to stress that there is a big difference between the two. Um, BDSM, I think and feel, comes under the fetish category. So fetish is an umbrella term for all those things underneath there. Um, mm-hmm. So I started educating people about different things and having small little seminars, groups of five, and they grew up to groups of 25 uh, and as a result, well, I've, 
as you can see on my Twitter feed as well. I'm always showing little sex toys and things like that. So I got a pretty big collection of stuff. Um, <laughs> so I, I did. I actually I just started following you on Instagram today, and I went through the list, and I was um, I was a little envious. Uh, my collection isn't nearly as large. <laughs> <laughs> but you you are uh, employed at some type of sex toy shop, uh, are you I, not? I am, and, and that's how I got to be employed by them, Sweet Adult Boutique, which is also, um, they're owned by the folks who have Little Sisters Book and Art Emporium. Now, I don't know if people are familiar with Little Sisters here, but they uh, took the, um, well, Canada Customs here to court, to, all the way to the Supreme Court, fighting them for the right for individuals to read about depictions of anal sex and play. Um, and it made headlines. It was a big, huge deal and stuff like that. And the owners eventually got a hold of me uh, to come and actually talk at the trade shows. We have the taboo trade sex shows up here in Vancouver and all across country, as a matter of fact. Um, and because of all the toys that I had, and at the time I was starting to explore what was going into these toys, what was making them, we talk about phthalates and bisphenols and uh, melamine and all these other nasty ingredients that go into the mm-hmm. plastic that make up the toys. Um, and then we also talk about the ingredients that go into the lubricants as well, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly of all the lotions, potions. Uh, so that was one of the things that they thought was going to be very intriguing for me to come on board with them. And, and, and of course, as a result of my own personal collection of stuff and toys, they, um, yeah, it just, it just fit. It just stuck. So I, at the store as well, I'm able to get testers and toys and things like that and do reviews on them and let the companies know what we think of them, uh, let people know what we think of them, and uh, so they can make their best choices to what they want to do and what's going to be best for their own sexual practices at home. Well, let, so, let me let me throw in a comment there because you, you were talking about the different toys and the lubes and the materials that go into it. Uh, safe sex is not just uh, play with the proper techniques or being careful no. about that. It's more of the toys that you use and, and all, of the, all of the accessories that you use, making sure that they are uh, safe and friendly to the, the, the body and the person yeah. and just making mm-hmm. sure that they're used properly because there's a lot of stuff that's out there, and you know you can spend some money on some junk, and and then you can spend some real money on the good stuff. And I know Alicia has talked about this that there are some toys because she has a blog as well. And I say that because next month in June, uh, a friend of ours, um, she goes by the name of Ms. Quote that has her own blog, uh, a good dirty woman, I believe it's called. Uh, she mm-hmm. started uh, Adult Sex Ed Month. Uh, for June 2014, and so she's going to be coming on my other show, Just Guy Talk, and and we're going to be covering some of that stuff. So that kind of that that is really a big part of it because there's a lot of people that have all these myths and concep- misconceptions about toys and or don't even want to go near the toys because one they don't think they need it, two they're afraid of it, and three they really don't know anything about them. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna intervene quickly. It's just that the FDA doesn't. Um, they don't monitor anything that actually goes into these toys. So that way they're considered novelties. Um, And so they don't really care what these toy makers put in. And it's funny because our society, our culture is like, oh, I can't eat gluten or, you know, I can't swallow semen because it might 
have 10 calories in it, but I'm putting these dildos in my body that have extremely, you know, toxic materials. And because it's not FDA regulated, the companies are not, it's not mandatory to put what the materials are on the packaging. And some companies just blatantly lie and say that it's 100% silicone. And it may be a really, really poor grade silicone. Um, So... The rule of thumb, and I don't know if Velvet goes by this as well, but if you take a toy out of the packaging and it smells like a shower curtain, then you probably should not be inserting it inside of yourself. I um, do that same thing. I open up the packages and I will say to people, now, does that smell right to you? Um, do you want it to smell like latex? Do you want it to smell like one of those cheap dollar stores? Every time you walk in there, you're so intoxicated with the smell of plastic and bad plastics that you can't stay in it for more than five seconds. Um, without getting high. Yeah, it's, it's it's awful stuff. And one of the things that we did find out up here was that in Canada, lubricants are considered a cosmetic, but in the States, they're considered a medical device aid. So, I did not know that. Yeah, so we were kind of, what the hell is this? Um, the folks at IRMA, which is the Internal Rectal Microbicide Association, and I believe they're out of Chicago, they're actively working on developing lubricants that will work as a barrier um, for disease transmission. So um, it, it, they're really interesting there with what they're doing, and they're trying to get testing going on. And I'm, I don't know about the ethical stuff about that and where they're taking it to get the testing, but the fact that they're thinking about using lubricants as barriers for disease prevention and HIV and all these other different things, too, is kind of interesting. But... Um, yeah, I, we didn't know that either, and we were wondering why it was that some of these, as, as you said, about the smells and stuff like that, some of them just smell toxic. And recently I found out that I was allergic to a compound allergy, which happens to be, you're familiar with the lubricant J.O.? Yes. Um, I don't think I've heard of that one, no. Yeah, I've seen Yeah. It's, it's, it's a good lube, but um, they've come up with one called Organics, and it's 100% organic, according to them. I'm always leery about labels. Um, so anyway, I found it, I'm allergic to that combined with latex condoms. Hardcore. Wow. Yeah. So I can't use it anymore. And, and you were asking earlier in terms of how all this came about. Uh, obviously, as, as my quest for my own, uh, you know, search for my own sexual practices and what was going to get me off, because, you know, we can be frank here. I'm hoping on this show. Sure. Um, Sex is really important to me, and having a damn good orgasm is just as equally important. So uh, I wanted to know what it was that I could get off with and what I couldn't get off, because I knew that I was going to be able to get off once I went through all this surgery. Um, And I was able to achieve that goal, so I wanted to just keep on finding the best orgasm, the better orgasm, because we're always trying to recreate something that we have and not learning. And for me, it just got to the point where it's like I'm learning, oh, all these different things are good, and that's where I started to explore and experiment on myself with different toys and learn about the ingredients. Um, so now when I talk to people about lube as well, I bring up my example of being allergic to the latex condoms combined with the organic thing. Now, if I use uh, skin, they're non-latex, which is like a polyvinyl uh, kind of condom, um, no reaction whatsoever. Wow, so it's a combination of the latex and some of the ingredients. Yeah. So, um, I know it's funny that you mentioned that it's considered a cosmetic in Canada because um, in America they use parabens 
in the lubrication. And I believe it's some type of chemical to help in the preservation of um, cosmetic products. So it's in a lot of different cosmetics. Um, but in this case, when you're obviously inserting them in your orifices, and the membranes are a lot thinner and it's absorbing all of these toxins, um, people have a lot of allergic reactions to it, um, and they can also be very toxic for you. So once again, they're not really um, regulated by the FDA, and, and even some that are still have, you know, because it's a new thing that's going on. The FDA is just beginning to regulate lubricants in America. And there are still so many chemicals that are in some of these lubricants, um, and the the whole like there's this whole lubricant revolution going on about whether um, glycerin is uh, causes yeast infections or increases the risk of um, yeast infections and and is affecting people with diabetes because glycerin is a sugar alcohol. Yeah. Right. And so um, so it's it's funny because you know like life and in our culture always go through these these trends. So at first it's like the fit trend and everybody wants to get, you know, healthy by going to the gym. And then it's the, um, you know, the gluten trend and everyone has a gluten allergy. And so right now in the world of sex ed, it's this lube trend where everybody is like worried about glycerin and worried about parabens. And so a lot of companies are um, reviewing their products and and modifying it so that way it it doesn't include these materials anymore and so that way people are a little more comfortable with using them so when you're searching a lot of new bottles will say you know paraben glycerin free because that's the big thing right now yeah yeah totally is one of the ones that we sell at the store um which is i used to use it as well and still i've had reactions to it was liquid silk uh, great product but it lists in, in plain sight, all the parabens that are in I believe there's three different kinds that are in there. Also, it's loaded with glycerin, too. Um, but we still have couples coming in and buying that because they just love it, and they don't care. You know, and I always say, too, because a lot of the women are coming in, it's mostly the women that are more conscious about what's going in their body, um, and rightfully so. And, I, and you know, and I, my joke of the day with the women is, it's like the men don't care what they put on their dick to get off because they're going to do it anyway. You know, if it feels good, they're going to do it, right? So, and right, it's also the skin on a penis is not comparable to the skin inside no. the vagina. So they don't they don't have to worry about nearly as many issues as vagina owners do. Yeah. And it, it you know, and even even for the ones that just say that they're totally one hundred percent hardcore allergic to everything that's in the store, um, I ask, have you ever tried coconut oil? You know, antifungal, antibacterial, it readily absorbs into the body without any complications or problems unless you have a nut allergy, which because of that derivative but other than that, and it tastes good. So yeah, I love I love coconut oil. I cook with it all the time. <laughs> I haven't had sex with it yet, but I cook with it frequently. Oh my god, it's so good! It really truly is, and like and it tastes good too. <laughs> <laughs> well, get, getting back to the uh, the fetish is, um, what's your specialty there, um, if I may ask? Um. Well, I, I don't. I used to have a lot of costumes for people to put on, and now I just, you know, because the, the wear and tear on costumes for people is just way too much to upkeep. So I would just tell people bring your own stuff. But a lot of it seems to be uh, role playing, and it's it generally around scenarios that would be of an authoritarian style situation to someone who's submissive or subservient. I.e., one of the, the most popular ones happens to be the office 
scenario with the, the boss and the secretary, um, where the secretary is a naughty person, or the doctor scenario. Uh, I do a lot of mummification. Um, I do a lot of uh, breath play. I do a lot of sensory overload and deprivation. Uh, I used to do cross-dressing, feminization, makeovers, but I found them becoming a little bit too troublesome because they have these higher expectations that, well, you know, there's only so much that I can do unless you're willing to go through all the stuff that I've done to myself, and I'll use myself as an example, to laser your hair off your face, your body, you know, your cosmetic procedures and shit like that. You're just not going to look like, you know, Sophia Loren. Right. right. <laughs> you got all these so, Make me pretty. <laughs> well, exactly. It's like, oh, you kind of forgot to shave. <laughs> That's not going to get covered over by any amount of Max Factor going on there or whatever the hell we're going to use. Right. right. So do, do you have your own studio? Uh, I used to. I have stuff in storage, and now I'm currently working out of another place that's here in Vancouver. I'm in the process of setting up my own studio again because I've got literally $40,000 worth of toys, furniture, and equipment in storage throughout several lockers. Um, And I have in my condo now here downtown Vancouver, I have all kinds of shit under my beds and my cupboards and my closets. So I I pull all that stuff out when I'm playing and stuff. So I basically kept the basics because... Um, there's so many things you can get that, you know, not everybody uses them or likes to have them used on them or whatever. And I do stress that I keep everything clean, sterile, and properly hygienically oriented. Um, But, yeah, I, you know, and I used to live in my studio before, and now what I'm setting up is something that's going to be independent of my home. Okay. um, Walk us through um, how someone goes to... Uh, schedule a session with you, you know, how they contact you, you know, how they set it up, you know, the rules behind it, you know, any paperwork, any, you know, any, uh, uh, you know, disclaimers or anything like that, uh, you know, just walk us through that. Well, well, now that we've got the beauty of the internet, of course, as we're sitting here talking on it, uh, in my, in, in the early days, I was advertising to something called the man line. Uh, and they had, it was a phone service, and crazy, oddly enough at that time, at the back of the man line, the very end of all the stuff, they had the section for the advertisers, such as the persons providing straight sex, uh, anal sex, fetishistic oriented stuff, which is where I was at. Um, you would place your ad there, the guys would leave their phone number there, believe it or not, they left their phone numbers, would call them back, and ask them what it was they were interested in. So generally, so that was the start. And then as the newspaper started to expand and allow more ads to happen in the back of the pages there, that's where it started to grow there. And then the Internet hit. And then we were able to start producing our own um, websites and stuff like that and put in submission forms where people could put in their requests and things like that. So what I was finding was there were a lot of varied questions. And there were just so much that you ended up being on the phone for so long. So I put all my information out there. So if someone contacted me through the Internet, I would email them back with a number to call me at. And it was my business line which I still have, which is independent of my personal phone line. So, And then I would answer those calls so I could screen them out that way. And, of course, never taking blocked calls just for security reasons. And then also, too, not just security reasons, but I would know they were serious. If you weren't serious and you were, and you were calling me from a number that was blocked, then either you're yanking my chain or you're just not serious or you just want to jerk around. So, I mean, I'm offering a service here that I believe is very professional. If you're not going to be professional with me, then I'm not going to deal with you. 
So that that was how I do that. And then through the internet as well, I created a letter uh, that basically outlines and details everything that I do, what I offer to my studio uh, or, or to my apartment at present time, and what my required donation or tribute is. So cause we have to be very careful about the terminology we use when it comes to fees being, you know, put forth. Uh, we are currently, I don't know if you're aware, here in Canada doing this whole thing where we're trying to change the prostitution laws. The Supreme Court of Canada struck them down uh, December 20th of last year. So all the three major ones surrounding prostitution, because prostitution is not itself illegal here in Canada, but uh, operate, keeping a common body houses, uh, solicitation for the purposes of, and living off the avails. So... And I was just recently in Ottawa lobbying the MPs for that one, too, last week. So there was a team of 35 of us from all across the country there with all these bits of information that we created from our national working group. But anyway, so that was how they would do it. And then I would get them to call me from a payphone down the street, what what little payphones there are left in the city, because they seem to be disappearing from all the street corners. Um, So I know the number of that that payphone when it's called. And then at that point, and then usually it's 15 minutes before, so I'd kind of be sort of fully ready um, because you never know if they're going to show up or not. It's a 50-50 deal if they show up. And, I mean, you get pretty good at having intuition as to whether or not that individual is going to show up to a session or not. And, and you're generally bang on if they're not. It's just a thing that you just get as a feeling and you're generally not dressed or ready for them. I'd give them the address at that time. I'd see them 15 minutes later. They'd come to my door. Um, I've never been one of those kinds of individuals. When they get to my door, it's like, down on your knees or anything like that. It's like, no, I want you to come in. I want you to get over your nervousness, especially if it's a first-time client. Give me a hug. Say hello. Look around the place. Enjoy yourself. Get comfortable. Get relaxed. Would you like a shot of scotch? Would you like a drink of some kind? Would you like a glass of water? What would you like? Let's chat a bit and then move in. And then slowly I would, you know, interject or just insert the bits of the fetishes that they were so we could bring the session to full, you know, fruition. And then money would be, you know, exchanged prior to the whole thing. Uh, The client would be there. No disclaimers, no nothing like that. Um, I've never been scared. Never been And that was going to be my next question, if you've encountered any type of, you know, because, I mean, there's all types in the world, so I can imagine how many people, um, you know, might not take the dominatrix situation and I had one client well I don't even say client because I never even saw him after that who I had no idea like first and foremost I don't do drugs so there's no drugs here whatsoever don't ask me to get drugs for you because I won't um and I don't want you coming with drugs either and I know you know the amyl nitrates and poppers and all those different things like that I can't even stand the smell of them I get the use of them in session like that and the vascular dilation that they provide for certain types of activities. Um, So I I don't want that around me. And I just find that the drugs impede the ability to actually have a proper performance or a proper session to actually take place. Um, And it also, you know, impedes the performance of the penis. I mean, we'll be honest about that. So a lot of them come through the door and they'd want to be on cocaine or MDMA. So this one client that came through the door, I didn't know that he was high. He seemed really good. And progressively through the session, I'd say about 20 minutes into it, it just hit him like a ton of bricks. I was like, whoa, your energy went from nervous to suddenly overly over-the-top sexual. And in that 20 minutes, then it went to serious anxiety. Um, I, I ended the session after that period there, got him dressed and said, you're going to have to leave because I cannot deal with this. And I'm not about to deal with this. You've lied to me. Um, 
And at that point in time, I was a little bit concerned about getting him out the door. But uh, he he left. He was gone. And he proceeded to call me for, well, for hours after that and then days after that saying that we got off on the wrong foot. We did this. We did that. It's like, no, I've handled my business like this for years. And you were the one who came to me without disclosing that you had actually taken something. Um, proceed to get high in my presence while we were having the session. I thought it was going pretty good, and then it just went into this serious, whoa, over-the-top anxiety. And um, there, there was a twinge there where I started to feel in fear of my safety. So, you know, you got to you play the game of twenty questions really intensely on the phone to hear in their voice to see if they're okay. And another thing people have asked me is, well, how can you tell when they're there? Well, I, I make direct eye contact. Um, I'm listening to their breathing to see if their breathing becomes elevated in a, in a very anxious sort of manner. If they're breathing, there's, because there's a difference between getting a breathing that's anxious and breathing that's sexually turned on as opposed to breathing when you've had a good workout. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, so, and then feeling of the skin, if the skin's getting cold and clammy, um, discoloration of the skin, all those different things. So I'm always aware of all those elements. So that, that's always... Yeah, and I, ha- I do have my St. John's Ambulance Certificate, uh, which allows me to do first aid and all these other different things as well. It's a, a week-long course, and, you know, I-, I think that's important for people to have just so they know they can know first aid in case there is a problem. Um, yeah. I like that you mentioned um, psychology earlier because people don't really understand <laughs> that the the whole dominatrix situation is is really a relationship with your client and it really is a lot to do with emotional safety too because you are taking this person's body um, under control essentially and so there really needs to be a trust and a comfort level and all of that comes off of the person's mental state and so people think it's like oh it's cool I get paid I get to you know paddle some person and then send them on their way um, they don't really understand the emotional concept of it and the relationship of it, the psychology of it. Um, so I like that you really touched on that and elaborated on that because I think that's super important. Thank you. I, I, and I, I 100% agree with you, and I, I'm really happy that you brought that up again because, I mean, one of my clients who comes by, just from a psychological standpoint, he, he's, um, he's, his fetish, I think, is very complex. It doesn't really, well, he's into ball busting, I can say that right off the bat. So, I mean, to know how much pressure to apply when you're smacking someone in the nuts or kicking them in the nuts or whatever you're doing, <laughs> you kind of got to know how they're responding. Um, so, I mean, so that's just one of his little quirks. But he, he loves to talk about his childhood when he was going through adolescence and developing his interest because he, he was growing up at a time when, School teachers are still wearing the pencil skirts and the white blouses buttoned down with the seam up the back stocking and the high heels. So that's very ingrained in his head. So, of course, that happens to be part of my um, uniform for that session with him. And I get right inside his head and totally role play that role for him and get him going on that aspect and talk to him about how, you know, you bad little boy, you were just looking at my skirt while I was bent over that table. There, you're going to stay after class today and I want you to do this and do that. You know, and it it totally turns him on. It's a connection. It's a mental connection dealing with his psychological aspects of what he was growing up with. And that's how his fetish is seriously developed. Um, Yeah, so, and there's a lot of listening going on, a lot of communication as well for it. I know individuals who are 
fly-by-nighters when they get into the industry thinking exactly like you said, they're going to make a lot of money, they're going to do this, but they're not listening. They're not taking into account what that client is all about and what their interest levels are at. So, Well, you, you can also damage people emotionally if you're not careful of their state during the act. Um, I can't say I've never had my own dominatrix moment. That's why I'm a little more experienced in the field. So um, it's it's very important that you don't send the person on their way emotionally damaged or in you know an unstable um, emotional situation. Absolutely. I mean, when, when when I'm finishing up a session with these individuals, they have every access to use a shower, um, clean up. Uh, I I expect a hug when they leave just so they can feel comfortable and let me know that it, how they're feeling. And I can feel from them when they give me a hug if they're okay or they're not. Um, and 99.9% of the time, they've all been good. And the ones that haven't been, which is, like I said, that, that small percent there, it's just because they've wanted to say something, you know, um, and, and they've enjoyed it and they wanted to move further on with it. And a lot of the times what they wanted to say was, well, can we take it another step further the next time around? Oh, okay. Well, what is that? Be, you know, be a little bit forthright with me about this. Where do you, where do you see it wanting to go? What's the next stage of development with you with this fetish that we're expanding on here? Um, so it, to me, it's very important to communicate with these individuals and just go from there. So, yeah. Cool. Yeah, yeah. What, uh, as far as your clientele goes, is it mostly men? Um, do you have some women that come in and seek you out, or how do, how, what, what do you find? What do you get? So, so women come as couples, um, and when they're coming as couples, it's generally, it's, it's usually the man that phones first. Um, and if the man is phoning, I've always said to them, well, is she there? I want her to be part of this negotiation. Because if she's there, I want to know that she's in on this, and I want to talk to her, not you. So, uh, so they've got when the women have gotten on the phone and it's been legit, they end up coming over as a couple. And basically, what they want to do is they want to learn a little bit more. Uh, they want to be able to get themselves out of their shell so they can actually engage with their man for whatever particular interest it is that they've got that they want to share and they want to indulge in. So we go through this educational process. It's more of an empowering thing for the women to understand that they have the capabilities of doing this, but they also have to want to do it. Not just because he's saying that they want them to do it, but most of them are eager to do it because they've already talked about it in their own personal relationships at home, um, and they want to expand on it and move move with it. But like I said, they, they have to want to do it. They have to be clear on that because I don't want someone coming through the door, because especially when you can tell if they're uncomfortable with it, um, and that it's never going to work for them. And then at that point, then I, I find myself usually saying to the man, you're probably going to have to seek this out on a professional level outside of the home on your own because it's quite clear that she's just not interested in this aspect in your own personal life. So that's been, that's been the context of women coming through the door, but it's always been men. Um, the age demographic generally is around, well, I would say 25 to 65. The most percentage, the youngest I ever had was 19. Uh, the oldest was 82. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, very active individuals and uh, lots going through their heads. Um, I've had clients that were, you know, had lots of disabilities. Uh, a client who touched my heart profusely when I was in Toronto, he had the elephant man disease. And... Um, 
I would used to see him on the street because he lived in the same area that I lived, and he would be so brave walking down the street by himself, and he was disfigured, and I just, I wanted to get to know this man so bad because I just, you know, people would stop and stare, and, and, and I know what that's like to have someone stop and stare or question whatever it else, you know, and, and stuff like that because, yeah, I'm six foot, um, you know, 36 G, you know, 28, 39 measurements, so I'm, you know, pretty striking and you know, people uh, take a lot of pictures with photographers all the time but so I know what it's like to be questioned and stared at and stuff like that so I want to know him and then one day he showed up at my door and he showed up with a certificate to prove that his disease was not contagious of course I already knew that it wasn't but I, my, that, my heart just, that just goes to show you the ignorance that is so prevalent in our society yeah. It, it truly is, and individuals who are, you know, sex workers and stuff like that, and I, and I don't get the anger that a lot of these abolitionists and prohibitionists are all about, and, stuff like that, and they have so much anger about all this shit, and it's like, but, you know, any, anyone who, who's a sex worker or performing anything that has to deal with prostitution or domination or whatever, there's a different kind of connection they have with their clients. It's more of a love aspect and compassion, and, and I just, you know, yeah... And then, and then for sex workers to be continually invalidated by all these nut jobs, as far as I'm concerned, but yet they're the ones that they're validating everybody else. It's kind of the, the irony that's in there somewhere, you know. Uh, yeah, it's like you're right. The ignorance of a lot of society. Yeah, I'm actually I'm I'm trying to start a program in my area um, to reach out to the sex workers because prostitution mm-hmm. is a huge, huge situation in the city that I live in. It always has been. Uh, I remember people talking about prostitution since I was little. And um, and so I, you know, so many of these beautiful women are just shattered emotionally. And they become, you know, it's, it's funny that these men seek them out for sexual needs. And then they are just items thereafter. It's, it's there's no... Um, understanding that they're still humans and that is their source of income and that they still have lives and hearts and personalities. Um, so it's it's very saddening and there's so many of these girls in my community. Um, so that's, that's kind of my mission at the moment is to create a little outreach program. I've actually spoke to the mayor and the local health department and um, to get these girls help and for them, ultimately for them to understand that there's somebody out there who gives a crap about them because that's really what they feel is that, you know, nobody gives a crap. They don't care. And um, so I think it's very important for sex workers as a whole because I, I don't think that our society understands that enough. We um, love to blame them and call name call and, mm-hmm. um, and they lose their identity in all of that. It's not fair, so... And, and, it, and, you know, and you're right. I mean, for, for most that I know that have entered into the industry, they entered into it because, well, they thought it'd be fun, um, a great opportunity to make money, to connect with individuals and do as it. All this other stigma and these preconceived notions and all this other bullshit that seems to be put on them by the rest of ignorant society is what starts to break them down. And really it becomes a lonely world because they're continually being berated and told this and that and everything else. And they start to believe it. Um, and, and you know, and then they don't have networks on their own where they can actually go and talk amongst themselves and, and talk shop 
you know, there is a lot of shop talk about this whole thing. Like with the group that I'm with right now, sex workers and allies from across the country. So we have all these different groups. Um, we've mobilized really well, I believe, to do this. And we all sit and talk. And, you know, it's in a room full of a lot of highly sexual individuals. So you, and we laugh and we talk and discuss all kinds of different things. And, it, and it's really empowering. It's really good. And we find ourselves going out into the streets as well to deal with street-based sex workers and, you know, giving them the strength to be out there doing what they want to do because a lot of them do want to be out on the street because they have a higher visibility, right, as opposed to going in and placing something in online. It's just not where they want to be. Um, I don't know. I just, the, the negativity that surrounds it astounds me. It really, truly does. Yeah. Um, it, it's just that everybody, you know, you can't have a vanilla life and admit that you have a strong sexual um, desire as well or any type of what society considers abnormal, uh, like a fetish. Um, you know, if you're a successful stockbroker and you tell somebody you like to lick feet, you are instantly, um, you know, devalued. Yeah. Your sexuality becomes such a, a point of judgment and that everything else, you know, you could be a Nobel Prize winner, and as soon as you mention anything about sex, everything you've done in the world has gone completely out the window, anything positive you've done. Um, so it's very hard even being a sex educator where I actually don't, you know, commit any of the acts. Um, you are still very much stigmatized, mm-hmm. and so my personal life is completely out the window, and, and that's what happens to a lot of these humans is they want to do good, but you really have to have a strong um, desire to do it and and a strong personality to keep fighting back because the resistance in the world of sex education, sex work, um, is so strong that it's easy to get caught in the wave if you're, you know, emotionally weak. Absolutely. I mean, I, when you, when you start doing this stuff like this, like I said before, most, well, all of the ones that I know are, are, are very much strong individuals, and I'm talking the men and the women and those in between. And, um, you know, they started off doing this as fun, but then as you do this, and then you start to learn that, well, really, I can't tell my family what I'm doing because they just don't get it, and they won't, and they're going to treat me like garbage. Um, my certain friends, you will lose friends along the way. You'll gain friends along the way. You'll also gain the curiosity seekers. Um, your personal life becomes very very special and private to you. Uh, and I know in, in my life, I'm, a, I'm a, an extremely sexual being in my private life, my personal life, but that doesn't mean that I'm out fucking everything that walks on two legs, right? So, right. Um, but I mean, you know, I'm certainly trying to bring strength to other individuals so they can go out and live their lives, you know, they're raping and pillaging and murdering people. But, you know, if you've got certain quirks and things like that, I want you to know that, you, you know, depending on what your quirk is. Because, I mean, there are, I do have my limitations with certain things that I'm not about to engage in, and I don't think anybody else should because I think it's just not right, wrong. Um, and that's just my own personal thing. Uh, but, I mean, I, I try to nurture people into what they're so they can feel good about what they're all about, what their interests are, and, and then just move forward with that. I mean, well, the, the four things that I always say to people, too, this is one of the things I go on the phone with as well because I've had this after me. I don't deal with anything that deals with animals, references oh. to, or any of that sort. Kids, scat, or blood play. No way. 
Um, and and for good reason on the last two. The other, the first two, I think, is pretty self-explanatory. Um, you know, so and, and I, you know, the serious callers that have called my way and asked about those different things, I'm like, no, no. You know, but yeah, it's it's uh, you know, and when and when you're in your personal life and stuff like that, like the friends that I have now, I cherish immensely. Uh, I'm out to my family about everything that's going on, um, and that just was one of those things where my aunt showed up at my doorstep one day with the newspaper where I advertised in it, it was a three-quarter page ad, huge, and we're talking something that you know pretty much is like uh the size of a regular newspaper, right? So just picture a three quarter page ad in one of those things. And it's like, oh, how much you pay for the ad? Ooh, what are you doing with this? <laughs> so, what do, what do you say? Oh, I don't know what you're talking about. No, I'm not that's not me, huh? No, okay. Yeah, well that's dead. So you you brought right, up fan- so Go ahead. Go ahead. No, Lisa. I was just gonna say you really didn't have a choice at that point but to be honest with people. Well, exactly. Yeah. So it, it just spread from there. And even my father said to me, too, that because he would come and visit and uh, he would sleep in my dungeon that I had set up at the previous location when I was living in my studio. And uh, he had said to me that one day, he says, you know, I don't mind sleeping in that room. I said, why is that? Uh, what's up? He says, well, it's dark, nice and cool, and uh, it's quiet. And I know people have a good time in there. It's got a good energy. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, wow, wow. That's awesome. <laughs> Coming from a 75-year-old man telling me this, and I'm like, fucking hell, okay, I can deal with that. <laughs> so take us back That's to great. the early years of, of Velvet Steel. How far back do we want to go? Um, I think, well, let's just go to the beginning to where you started uh, finding out about yourself and then realizing, all right, this is who I am, and this is who I'm going to be. Well, um, school, like a lot, well, for me, it was hell. Um, you know, going through that and then developing in a very different manner than what the other boys were doing and stuff like that. And I was interested in the boys. I didn't want to be one of the boys. Um, and going through gym class in grade 7 and 8 here, when I was going through that, I, I grew boobs because I have XXY chromosome. I didn't know what the hell that was all about. I wasn't thinking like a boy. I wasn't interested in what the boys were interested in. So I opted out of gym class through my high school years. Um, I got picked on a lot. Didn't understand what that was all about. Um, so my outlet happened to be punk rock. So I got into that. I loved the strength of what the clothes is all about, the music, the, the rebellious qualities of it. And I met individuals who just loved people for who they were. It was about freedom of expression and, you know, self-identity and all these other different things. And still going through my stuff, I was still being challenged by my family on so many levels. And one of them happened to be my mother. Um, she's no longer part of this world anymore. But uh, she she seriously challenged me to the point where I had to break free and do my own thing. And I went and thought you know, the help of psychiatrists, only to have them tell me that I was, uh, you know, I should go and go to Narcotics Anonymous, Alcoholics Anonymous, and get an HIV test because they believed that all of those things were all interlinked. Uh, I was really surprised by that because none of the issues and the concerns that I brought up were being addressed. So, well, being naive, I went and did all that stuff. Um, I went through a lot of sexual 
harassments at jobs when I was younger, doing hairdressing and makeup artistry. I didn't know that I could have pursued, you know, charges against these individuals because I've always looked very feminine. Um, just walking down the street, I'd get people catcalling me when I thought I looked like the, you know, the, the most masculine of masculine on that day. So that was a bit of a challenge. And I finally found a counselor in, nestled in the downtown core of Toronto who said to me, I don't think your problem is any of this, but I think it's something different. And he's the one who actually started talking to me about gender actual stuff because I was very, one of, one of my, you know, things that I would advertise terminology was androgynous, right? Androgynous pretty boy will whip you into shape was one of my ads that I was using. That was really highly successful. And I always had this, you know, this turmoil going on with the use of the penis because it was just such a very serious conflict for me. Even though I was thinking about sex all the time, sex with a penis does not compute. I didn't like it. I didn't want to be it. I just like, ah, what are we doing here? This is really playing havoc with me. So I started to really seek out the services of the doctors and, and counselors further than this gentleman. Um, and at one point I did, I, I moved over to Denmark to get away from my mother and she came over there. And I, at that time I was starting to explore more of me, myself and I as a punk rocker doing all these different things. And I came in contact with this man over there and his personal slave, he exposed me to this whole thing and said, dude, you have this quality about it. And I really felt empowered with this guy. And then when I came back to Canada at the age of 23, I placed my first ad um, just to see what was going on. Nervous as all hell and all shit. I didn't go through with the first call. And then the second one, what happened to be, I got picked up on the street by this guy. And in retrospect, I could have been in some serious trouble, but I wasn't. Um, felt a good energy with this guy. I was all decked out in the way that I wanted to be, and I was really starting to break free from my mother's grasp. Um, and next thing I know, this guy is seeing me on a regular basis weekly because of my long legs. That was his fetish. He loved to worship long legs. I would literally stand there with my legs clad in stockings and garters and nice high heels where he would just kiss and lick and hug and cuddle them. <laughs> so... That was his gig, and it was fun, and I just felt really good with that. And uh, so I started to talk to other people about these different things and where could I get medication to start trying to go through gender transition, stuff like that. And it wasn't until my best friend in Toronto passed away. Um, I really saw who were the true individuals in terms of friends and things like that that didn't come out of the woodwork. Um, and those that were very public and visible as supposedly friends suddenly disappeared because, well, here was this you know, this gay cancer that nobody wanted to deal with, and he was dying of it, and we had to run the other direction. And there I was, putting his body on a helicopter to fly it back to Halifax for his family. Um, so I'd, I'd had enough. Got on a plane to Vancouver, or not a plane, I drove across the country, and I took a plane back to Toronto about quite a year after, and I'd restarted doing my transition at this point in time through lots of medications, and I was full-on dressing and living... Um, performing professional domination for a number of years before I moved to BC. And when I got back to Ontario, my mother started her shit again, and I just looked at her and just ignored it, didn't say a word. But then I'd also had my cousins and my aunts and uncles over from Denmark visiting at the time. And my mother was trying to do this weird thing, and it was sort of, you know, it was really sickening for me to have my father's sister, who was 10 years older than my father, um, grab me by the face and look at me and say, you're no different than you ever were. And we love you. Let's go have a drink and ignore your mother. Oh, that's so, very sweet. Yeah. And so about how old were you at this point? Uh, at that point, I was 27. 27. Mm-hmm. 
So when I finally went through the full gender transition, like the full surgery, I had my 31st birthday in the hospital. <laughs> so that was fun. Wow. But, like, you know, I've been living my life since I was basically 19 of that, you know, sort of challenging what, you know, what the norms were in societies and everything else and dressing and going through all this other stuff and makeup and hair and boobs and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, yeah. You know, it took a it, it took a lot, but when they, I made the decision to say I'm going to go to England to get this surgery, it was like kicking that monkey off my back. <laughs> Literally, it was. I felt good. I felt strong. I I could breathe fresh air, right? And it was good. That's that's a beautiful story. There are so many um, people in transition, and they still even. In, to, in today's day and age, excuse me, and they suffer so much because it really still is almost an oddity. Mm-hmm. And so they go through, you know, all the stigma and um, the judgment and the comments and the not fitting in on one side or the other because our society is so male-female, and if you're not one or the other, you're screwed. And, um, you know, I see all these beautiful stories, and I've taken some awesome webinars from Forge, and um, about, you know, transgender survivors and the change in laws in America. And, and, uh, you know, so that way providers can better care for their transgender clients. Yeah. And, um, you know, here we are in, you know, 2014, and there are still so many freaking hurdles um, for individuals. And so I couldn't imagine what it was like for you, you know, when it was super, super new to, you know, to be a transgender, to get these surgeries, um, because it, it still is so new to our society, and, and we're still not fully thing of it. No, and, and you're, see, and even before me, you know, we had, you know, April Ashley, people like April Ashley, uh, Le Coquette, um, Christine Jorgensen, all these people going through, you know, before then, and, and you know, April Ashley, she's still alive, and amazing woman, um, she used to be a model and hung out with Salvador Dali, all these people like that. And I just think, wow. And, like, and, and yeah, the, the surgeries are just getting better. The techniques are getting better. Uh, and it breaks my heart when I see this because, I mean, yeah, okay. So I had to go and seek out the services on my own. Um, I had to make the connection with the doctor in England on my own by writing through snail mail because the Internet wasn't happening. Um you know, and, and, and doing all these other different things. Now that I've come back here, I find myself talking to other doctors. And I'm actually, I, I lecture at the universities here in BC. So, and I talk about sex work in the context of being a woman who's transsexual and what that was like for me and where I'm going and, and what I want to do and how to empower youth that are going through those situations too, and to know that they're not alone. And if they need somebody to talk to, because that wasn't there for me, but I want to give that there. I want to be there for them. So if they need a hug or, you know, a shoulder to cry on or an ear to listen or talking to, I'm here. I'm there for them, you know, and, and, and I want to empower them so they can move forward with their lives and feel good about it. I mean, you know, here in Vancouver, I kind of considered grandma, and I'm okay with that now. So it's like, <laughs> if you got something to say to me, come and talk to me, because I mean, <laughs> I've got lots of information for you, and I can certainly put you in the right direction if that's what you want. Or if you just want to share a story, I'm good with that, too. That's yeah, awesome. If- yeah, if you go to your website, you could tell that there's a lot of information there because there's so much there. Because you, you do a blog, you have 
videos on YouTube where you do reviews and then you talk about different topics. You also have your own podcast or had a podcast, correct? That, that's, I did, yes. And now that's, that's, um, we're redeveloping that now because the producer of the podcast, who is very dear to my heart, he, I think I opened up some doors for him that I'm not sure that he knew were there. I mean, I know I, can, I, I freak him out sometimes for some of the stuff that I say to him. So I think we, you know, like we could be a real good, you know, back and forth Cisco and Bear kind of thing. <laughs> so we're working on a new development of a new podcast. And then I'm also working on a new sort of video series as well that we'll be releasing on YouTube that will also be interlinked into the site. Um, it's not, it's not going to be porn or anything like that, but it's certainly going to be fun and campy and, and sexy. Because, I mean, one of the things that I'm, I'm doing now that uh, – um, well, how it came about was a friend of mine said to me, he says, you know what, Velvet, what, what's sexy this week in your world? And I'm hmm. wow, that makes sense because there's always something I'm referencing to, whether it's beautiful flowers or a breath of fresh air, how sexy that is, or, you know, sweating bodies or laying on a hot summer beach, you know, stuff like that. It's all sexy. What's sexy this week? Oh, my God, looking out the window to see a clear blue sky. You know, that's sexy, right? So, and for me, it's about life and loving life. And I always say to people, live and let live and love and let love. So, you know. That's cool. You definitely have to keep us posted when the podcast comes up so that way we can all share each other's information. Absolutely. And I need to know what yours is, raw sex? Raw sex. Okay. Because I like So, I'll, I'll tweet all the information to you on Twitter later and we'll... We'll have you on eventually, too. I'm always stealing um, Dave Dog's guests. He has me on, and then I snatch his guests for my show yeah, afterwards. <laughs> stealing, it's sharing, because you, um, Velvet, you, you've, you've been around, I say this you know, respectfully, you've been around a, a while. <laughs> you have a lot of information, and you're the type of guest that makes doing an interview really, really easily. You don't... I mean, you, of course, we have to prepare and we look at, our, at your stuff and, and make mm-hmm. our notes, stuff like that. But you ask a question and that just, you know, you just have all this information that flows out. I, we had um, Nina Hartley here. And you don't yep. interview Nina Hartley. It, Nina Hartley just takes over your show because she's been asked the same question every which way but Sunday, just almost like sex. She's done it all. And there's nothing you can surprise her with. There's nothing that you can throw out there that she's never seen or answered. And so you can ask one question, and you can, she'll go on for the whole entire exam. I mean, the, the whole entire um, show. And that's really good for us. I mean, because um, Alicia was on that episode as well, and I think you're probably going to have her on your show soon. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So she was she was wonderful, but it's it's cool too because we have. Similar shows in the fact that we do uh, sex-related topics, but the dynamic is so different that mm-hmm. if you listen to the same guest um, on Dave's show versus my show, you're going to get a completely different view of that person. Um, so it's, it's fun yeah. because although it's similar topics, it's a completely different background dynamic. You know, I come from the sex educator world, and I try to explain to people all the time um, the sex that the average Joe has is completely different than the sex that a sex educator has. And what really stimulates my mind is not what stimulates the average Joe. And you have to be very careful in the boundaries, um, especially being a female. 
and in the world of sex ed because if you do anything that people sexualize you, um, then you're done. You lose your message. So you wear that shirt, you know, a little lower or you wear that skirt a little higher and you're trying to teach about, you know, safe sex and you're done. You're an item now. And so you have to be very, very careful and tread lightly. And so it's, it's fun for me because my perspective is always completely left field than anyone else in my circle. But it's fun. The dynamic is fun that, you know, people get to talk about what the average Joe talks about, and then I get to interject with what the world of sex ed thinks about that topic. She, absolutely. She put it nicely. Actually, raw sex is smart sex, and just guy talk is like that kind of seventh, eighth grade, you know, junior high fumbling around under the sheets type sex. I like to equate that to the times that, you know, like when I was in high school partying with the rest of the gang, and I don't know if any of the people that I used to go to high school with are listening, but too bad if you are, because guess what? I had fingers that did the walking under those blankets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so um, I, I didn't care. <laughs> but I, I mean, and I also find that all these these shows that we do too, they're always educational. Like everybody has something that they share tidbit wise or whatever you want to call it. That is so beneficial for me because I feel as as a sort of organic sex educator that I'm learning as I go continually. And and someone always has something neat and interesting to share with me that I hope I can give back to the conversation. And and yeah, I, I know that a lot of my life is about fetish orientation and stuff like that, but underneath it all, there's still a person that is still dealing with the basics, which happens to be sex. Um, you know, and, and like you said before, it's like as a woman, if you put that out there in a different manner, your credibility goes out the window, right? Absolutely. So, and, I, and for me, I just, so maybe I, I over-sexualize things in terms of my presentation of myself and how I look and stuff like that. But quite frankly, I like dressing like I just walked off a madman set, you know? That's how I like to look. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think, you know, people should just be more open to that. And and that's what um, a misquote our friend is going is trying to do with, you know, national sex ed, or adult, I should say, it's adult sex ed month is to, you know, just bring all those things to light and, and, and let people know that there's other stuff out there than just the regular type sex. And, you know, you, you have to, if you're going to be good at it, you have to practice. And, and you mentioned this early on, you have to practice with yourself first. Because if you don't know what gets you off, then, um, you know, your partner's not going to know. So you have to start there. You've got to do the self-loving, which, by the way, this is uh, National Masturbation Month. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, so that goes along with the theme. And so you have to learn your body, you have to learn yourself, and then you can communicate that to your partner. And then, you know, they'll they'll find their way around. I know I did. Uh, and, and, you know, one thing that I've always found, too, that was really challenging for most people was was that communication. Letting somebody know what you like and what you don't like. I mean, I, this, this whole, I hear from so many men and women about laying there like, excuse my mouth, but a dead fuck, you know, letting somebody else rule the show, and then they're saying, well, I didn't really like that. Well, but you have the voice. Participate. Yeah, yeah, tell them what you like and what you don't like. Tell them where to put your hands or their hands or do something like that. I, I You know, you, like you said, you've got to participate. It's active participation with whoever's there, whether it's one person, two, three, four, or five. You know, I mean, I've been there, but anyway. Um, <laughs> 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 so, 
and I'm not that I'm saying I'm not going to go there again, that's for sure. But, um, you know, it's, 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 it's all fun, and it has to be fun. And I just, I, I truly think that sex is another form of communication. It really is. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. The other thing, too, is that I think that we're so afraid of offending people. And it's like, hey, I'm here to get off. I'm not here to make friends, <laughs> you know. So I'm going to tell you what I want and how I want it because that's what we're here to do. We're here to please one another. We're not here to, you know, be polite and courteous. Um, this is sex, and the point of it is for pleasure. So if I'm not feeling pleasure, I need to communicate that to you. And so I have no problem, and people are always caught off guard when I say this, but I have no problem stopping in the middle of a sex session and going, this sucks. You know, like, we need to try something else. Let's try a different position. Let, you know, I'm obviously not asking him what he had for lunch yesterday, but communication is so, so important. And it is. Well, maybe that is like, affecting his performance. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not, though. So it's just, be quiet. Never mind. You just made me fumble. <laughs> it's like, put your fingers there. Put your mouth there. Put this there. Ooh, you didn't clean that. Well, we're not going to deal with that today. You know what I'm saying? I mean, there are certain things that can be off limits. You know, if there's a hygiene moment, you can redirect yourself without being like, hey, did you wash yourself today? Um, <laughs> and, and you know what? For me, I guess I, I guess I'm just at a point now where I've been through different things all the time and stuff like that. I have no qualms about saying to someone, "You might want to have a quick little shower before we get down to business there again," because you know what? Mm-mm-mm. <laughs> you know? Well, it's, I guess it's different because it's a profession for you. Um, I, I'm not sure that I'm there yet. Maybe that's something that I I still have lots of sexual growth. Uh, I hope that it continues until I'm a little old fogey. And um, so I'm not sure I'm there yet. I think that is still some of the transition that I need in my sex life. Um, But absolutely, I think if I looked at it like a profession um, where I was doming someone, um, I would definitely be like, you need to take care of business. You know, exactly. I mean, there has been some embarrassing moments. And I I think from, from that perspective, you can certainly take those moments and translate them into your personal life. At least I've done that. Um, and I, you know, hygiene is important. But then again, that's not okay. Let's be honest here. I'm a dirty bitch. I like it when a man walks to the door after just getting off the construction site and he's got that musk going on. I was like, honey, get I down. I love that. Fucking People right. always question me. I'm like, can I just nuzzle in your smelly armpit? Mm. I love that smell. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was like, in, in Ottawa just recently, there was one girl, she came in, and I just overheard the tail end of her conversation, well, not the tail, I just been listening, and cause all I heard was, and he was laying there naked still, and she was knocking at the door, it was like this great romance novel she was describing while she's sitting there, but she's talking about the guy that she gets together with when she's in Ottawa on a regular basis and knocks boots with, and, uh, you know, he, so he's got... You know, she's like, oh, and his, he had this dirt under his fingernails, and he's construction work, and all she said was construction work, and I was like, what? Oh, and he's probably got those big, rough, callous tabs, and she just looks at me and goes, right, right, yeah, you know? I was like, yeah, okay, so it's like, <laughs> a little bit of <laughs> It's like, um, you know, sometimes a man who works at the keyboard a little too much you know, I want a bit of variety now and then. It's like, or can I just wrap up your fingers for a bit? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like, here, here's this axe. Can you just go cut that wood for a few hours? <laughs> Shit, yeah. You know, Work up a sweat. Yeah, so you don't, 
So you don't want to hear, oh, my carpal tunnels tonight. <laughs> no. <laughs> See, being the way that I am when it comes right down to being somewhat, a, I, I consider myself also to be a nurturing dom as well. Like if someone kind of says like, oh, baby, what's wrong? You want to put your head between these chips and rest for a second here? Let me tell me what's going on. Oh, baby, now you need me to kiss those carpal tunnel wrists better? <laughs> you want me to run that tongue up those hands? Mmm, baby. I'll just suck up, well, you know, whatever else gets my put in my mouth. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And we just got a free preview of how Velvet Steel gets down. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it doesn't take much because my mind is always there thinking of fun, things, sexy. Life is sexy, right? It should be fun and sexy, I think. Well, it should be. It should be. It's not sexy for a lot of people, and I feel bad for those people. But that was, that's what my mission is, is to make life a little bit sexier for the people that I encounter. And so far it's been a success, and that makes me happy. I, I can't tell you how many people. Um, I met this, this person off of Tinder. Have you guys ever heard of Tinder? Yeah. Um, it's, a phone, it's a phone app, and basically you just see people's pictures, and you click the little red X if you think they're busted, or if you think they're cute, you click the little you know green button or whatever, and then you guys can communicate. I met this gentleman, and we, we haven't met in person yet, but we've been texting back and forth, and he's adorable. And um, as soon as I said the words, I'm a sex educator, um, mind you, we have never, ever, ever met in person, but as soon as I sent that text, he literally became this sexual, like, waterfall, and, and it just splurged out of him like it was confession on, you know, Sunday. And he was like... I um, am pansexual, and I love um, trans men and uh, women and, um, you know, just all these different things. And then he was like, I didn't scare you, did I? I was like, first of all, I'm a sex educator. I'm pretty sure you can't say anything I've never heard. And secondly, that is freaking hot. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. And he was so relieved because he cannot tell anyone. He cannot tell his friends. He cannot tell his family. And he has very, had very, very few um, girlfriends that he could express that side of his sexuality to. And so for him to have me and to be able to just release all of that, even just by telling me and not necessarily engaging in the act or anything to that effect, um, was so comforting for him. And so now, once again, it's weeks have passed, we still haven't met in person, but we text all day long, and he's like, I can't tell you how much love I have for you, and I've never met you, but you're just so beautiful and understanding and you know, patient, and, um, you know, you, you just, I can totally be 100% myself with you, and I don't need to ever meet you, I love you, and so it was very cute that I got to give him this comfort, you know, and to be a positive influence in his life sexually without ever actually engaging in anything with him. And that, that 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 communication, I I love it. I, I I can't believe it. I mean that that warms my heart when I hear that kind of stuff because there is somebody that cannot communicate. I mean, uh, yeah. When we were doing the Kink series, I don't know if you're familiar with that. We did uh, the first season of Kink was filmed here in Vancouver. It's probably going on 15 years ago now, maybe 18 years ago. Um, yeah, I would say it was about 18 years ago now. Anyway. When it was finished filming, I didn't expect it to be as good of a response as it was, especially for me, because there were individuals. This is a time we were having a lot of assaults happening here in Vancouver. 
an individual took it upon themselves to come downtown to find some of the subjects who were in the kink series, and they ended up putting them in the hospital, which was pretty shit. But I had people walking up to me on the street and wanting to shake my hand and give me hugs, complete strangers, and, oh, you opened up the world to me. My eyes are so open. Oh, thank you so much. You are great, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, wow, I didn't expect this kind of, you know, response when I... I my intention was strictly that, to go out there and educate people and let people know what, what the world is all about. And if I could change a few minds and perspectives, I was going to be happy. And that's what right, I did. Right, job was done. You know? Yeah. yeah. All right, ladies. Well, uh, time is winding down for us. Uh, even though we got off to a late start, it's still, uh, we were on the clock. So, Velvet, you've been an awesome guest, uh, full well, of information. Uh, just very positive, and I enjoyed the whole time. I mean, this this went by quick, in fact, too quick. So uh, we'd love to have you back on down the road whenever you get a chance. I know you stay fairly busy, so we'll try to pin you down again. Well, I, can, I always make time, and vice versa, when more of my stuff gets rolling as well, I would love to be both on. And please send me your contact information through Twitter or whatever message you want to do, and, you know, okay. go from there. Okay. Tell the listeners where we can find you. Well, you can find me at velvetsteel.com, and that's, of course, velvet, V-E-L-V-E-T-S-T-E-E-L-E.com. Um, check it out. If you've got any ideas for me, something that you want to send to me through there, use my submission form. I'll certainly get back to you. Uh, and you can find me on Facebook at Velvet Steel, Twitter, Velvet Steel, Instagram. But if you just go to my website, you'll find all the links to all the different social medias there as well. I'm on Vimeo and YouTube, so it's all good. Awesome. Appreciate and I want to talk about Ross Axe. Yeah, tell everybody where we can find you. Me? Besides, yeah. Blogtalkradio.com forward slash Ross X. I am Ross X R I everywhere else. So Facebook.com forward slash Ross X R I. Twitter, RossXRI, Instagram, RossXRI, and we will have a website up. I, I currently have a website. I'm kind of sneaky about it. It's not the full domain yet. It's like a test run, and we'll have an official launch on June 9th, which, of course, makes what? What number? 69. So that's, <laughs> that's my sneaky marketing. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Love it. Love it. <laughs> so thank you so much for allowing me to be your, your guest Um co-host tonight. I always love it, and I always feel bad that I take over the show and uh, screw up your whole question outline, but, um, but I, still, I always love contributing. I, I just figured we'd just, uh, you know, um, wing it, and we didn't have to with the guest that we had. She did it oh, all for us. Appreciate that big time. I look forward to be back on, and hopefully you'll be on mine as well when we get it going, so yay. Awesome. Yeah. Hooray. Thank you so much. Have a good evening, everyone. Talk to you. You too. All right. So thanks for joining us on the first episode of Radio After Dark. I know we got off to a kind of a rocky start with the uh, technical difficulties that we had with the website there on Blog Talk Radio, but uh, we got past that and uh, had a really, really good time with uh, Velvet Steel, our guest, and uh, my guest co-host, uh, Alicia from uh, Raw Sex. So um, until next time, 
We will see you down the road. Thank you. Seven minutes until showtime. This has been Radio After Dark. See ya.